0: You're listening to The Diary of Louise Tomorrow, Chapter 3. No hunger of any kind tonight. I think of starving bubonic rats as I walk home in the dark. Today, Molly, the old queen of death from the top floor, said I looked well. Keep thinking of Ainsley's fat wife. She invades my dreams, casts shadows over them. A death blimp. Attended a lecture at the university where Ainsley teaches. Listened attentively. Took notes. Learned that God only lets you win the struggle against him as an act of mercy. Thought same thing about pain and all the rest of it. A woman asked me if it was my first time seeing the professor speak. Her name was Armenia, like the country. I told her, yes, it's my first time. She put her hand on my arm and said, oh, you're in for a treat. Courtesy of pain, I haven't slept for 34 hours. On account of needing to stay alive, of needing to clear my head so as not to say yes to it all. On account of dinner with Marcel, I'm three days into missing my injection appointments. The average sufferer might find this intolerable, but I enjoy a sense of spectatorship over the mind-bending hallucinations of hydromorphone withdrawal. As for the sickness, I neither fear nor suffer it the way I used to. Call it domesticating the pain. Call it looking up to the heavens. I admire the twinkling yellow lights on the Christmas tree. I make fake wishes on them. I consider the seven blue morphine pills that Marcel brought to our goodbye dinner, that we split, just like old times. He took my hand in his, across a table in a bar called Disgraceland, and said, your skin feels like velvet. You're just high, I told him. Marcel set his jaw and said, as if only just realizing it, I guess that's so. Then he asked me again if I'd thought about his extra room. Something in the tone of his voice that I didn't like. The expectation, perhaps, that this would all end bad. More than that, that I would end bad. Like I wasn't the captain, like I was a wave wandered off. Or a terminal squid. Or a piece of retro plastic still floating, but not for long. Besides, Marcel didn't want to stay with me and my velvet hands in his little room. He only wanted to keep me there, like an injured bird that you scoop up and leave in a box until it dies. You tell yourself, at least a fox didn't rip it to shreds when it didn't stand a chance when it could no longer fly. I couldn't bear the thought of any of it, of his life through the wars, or his pity, or his girls. I told Marcel to quit his begging, even though I knew he wasn't begging. He said, I just wanted to know you'll be okay when I'm gone. I hated to hear him say it, when I'm gone the words exploding in my heart like a bomb. This time, the army wasn't sending him anywhere. He just hated the winter, so he closed his eyes and imagined a life in California. Marcel had this special power and could make things come true just by believing in them. I'd watched him create his life with this magic, proud and amazed Thee had this otherworldly power to make things happen. And in my truer moments, I knew this day would come, that I was not enough to keep him in the city. It's just that some small part of me tried to believe it wasn't true. i been trying my hand at Marcel's kind of magic too. He told me if I didn't want his place, he'd rent it out to a gymnast named Anne I thought about her, sitting on his couch, where once he'd laid his head in my lap while I read him Rilke. He listened so earnestly I almost cried. He took the great poets so seriously. What's she like? I asked. Oh, she's cool, said Marcel, and she's got a great arse. Later, I walk home past a man in a black fedora playing Bob Dylan on his electric guitar outside the liquor store. Past the drunks stumbling out into the winter air, their breaths hot and heaving but halting just for a moment at something so pure as a single note of music. I consider that the universe is mysterious and eternal, that a single note of music here might stop an asteroid somewhere deep out there. I don't like to cry in front of the dog, but I do it anyway. I don't want to work tonight, but if I don't, then I can't afford rent or dog food or my grocery list of prescription relief. On account of being too sick to make the usual pilgrimage to Main Drug Mart, I take four Valiums before I leave the house. I get on the streetcar, already floating above my own shivering body. Tonight, I can make no sense of the city. Tonight, I can hear no poetry. We drive past the Red Cross Church again. I drop my eyes to the salty streetcar floor and I swallow acid and bile and I think, not tonight, God. When I get to Ainsley's apartment, The doors open and the lights are off. Relief floods me so hard and so fast it almost knocks me over. He must have gone out. Forgotten our appointment. I move unsteady as a newborn deer to the antique sofa. I lie down and close my eyes. I think of clear, still oceans in parts of the world that haven't been spoiled by oil spills and plastic even though I don't know where that might be. Some island somewhere, I guess. Maybe St. Lucia or St. Martin or St. Thomas. I think about saints and what a nice idea they are. When I open my eyes, Ainsley is naked and on top of me. He puts his fingers in my mouth and says, wakey, wakey, little whore. From the slight hysterical tone of his voice and the veins pulsing in his forehead, I can tell that he's off his medication again. In my mind's eye, a dragonfly lands, still and perfect on top of a sea that's still as glass. And then a ship passes by and an oil rig explodes. The water turns black. Ainsley leans into me. His face is barely inches from mine and his breath smells of acetone and death. I look at the grandfather clock in the corner of the room. It is 9.38 pm. Ainsley puts his hands around my neck and he squeezes harder than he's ever done before. I should be afraid but I'm not. Maybe it's the Valium. Maybe I'm just tired, really, really tired. Mostly, it's the idea that I might not have to be conscious for this. I look up at Ainsley's face, his bulging lizard eyes, the professorial beard that he hides behind. I take a strangled breath before the realization hits me that he's not gonna let me black out. He's a coward who'd never go that far. It's only 9.42 p.m. Fuck. Ainsley takes two fingers from his other hand and presses them up against the tip of my nose. He laughs and calls me, fuck pig. I want to claw out his eyes, but I know that's a poor business decision. Oink for me, he says. I could easily overpower Ainsley. I could stop this right now if I really wanted to. But stopping this would mean poverty, would mean needing to find a new client, and God knows how long that might take, or how unfathomably darker their predilections might be than Ainsley's. So I stay, and I let him play his games. And when I finally feel the dregs of my soul coming alive just to die their blood and thunder deaths in my chest I give Ainsley what he wants and I oink like a pig and then Ainsley fucks me. When he's done he looks at me and smiles like I'm an old chum. There, he says. Was that really so hard? On the way home I buy a baggie of ketamine which I snort in the bathroom of the Red Cross Church. When I come out, a ghostly pastor extends his hand and says, Can I help you, dear? I stay there until sunrise, considering my answer. To get more content from Louise's diary, visit Instagram at louisetomorrow. Diaries read by Madeline Sims-Viewer. Edited by Dan Sacco. Music by Jack Carlyle. Produced with the support of the Canada Council for the Arts.